technology working? Oh, that scared me for a second, but it's okay. So I'd originally planned to call this sermon, Be Strong and Let Your Heart Take Courage. That's one of the important phrases from Psalm 31. However, as I, as I read over this passage and I prayed about it, the phrase that kept coming back, and as we even talked about with the children, was, into your hand. Some translations, into your hands. Uh, I will use them interchangeably. It's a theme that's mentioned more than once in Psalm 31, is David placing himself into the hands of God. He says that his times are in God's hand and uh, he commits himself, his spirit, into God's hands. I think we all uh, instinctively understand what it is to put yourself in in someone else's hands. Um, You may have noticed, I don't know if, if most of you probably weren't here when I was running around trying to get everything done, Uh, because Grace is away on vacation. I actually dropped Grace and Jonathan off at the airport on Tuesday because, believe it or not, they can do many things, but fly is not one of them. And so they had to get on an airplane to get to Toronto. And we do this all the time, such that we don't really even think about the, the weirdness that it is to get into an aluminum tube that's filled with thousands of liters of highly flammable jet fuel and have some guy fly it at several hundred miles an hour to a city that's far away. But when you do that, you are putting yourself in the hands of a hopefully skilled pilot that he will get you safely to your destination. That same day, I went to visit Cliff Reynolds. He was still in the hospital at that point. He'd come through his, uh, his kidney surgery successfully. And again, uh, Cliff is skilled at many things, but doing a surgery on himself was not one of those. He had to entrust himself, quite literally, into the hands of a surgeon who is going to take instruments and remove a portion of his kidney. And that's a very vulnerable process, right? You let some technician give you a, a dose of some kind of cocktail of drugs that's going to render you unconscious, and then somebody actually cuts you open and removes parts of your body, that's really trusting yourself into someone else's hands that they, they know what's going on. Now, those, those people all did that voluntarily, but we also know what it's like to give up control not voluntarily as well. I also encountered some people that lost some control involuntarily on that day because we got some rain here on Tuesday. Regina got a lot of rain. It rained like an inch and a half or something in an hour. And this this is Albert Street and that's the train, both Albert Street and Broad Street where it goes under the train tracks, completely underwater. And of course, it's when it's like a foot high, people get brave and decide they're going to drive their vehicles through and then they stall and, and then the water keeps on rising and rising. And eventually they all had to abandon their vehicles. And there's a couple down there way over on the left side where it's like up to the windows and like coming right into their vehicles. So the police were blocking off the traffic. And just a small reminder uh, that, that we don't have control over a lot of things. We don't get a lot of what we'd call extreme weather here. Uh, but even something like this can remind us how vulnerable we are, how little thing, how little we are uh, in control of many, many things. And many of us will, will know far worse than, than a little bit of a rainstorm uh, that makes us have to take a different route because this underpass is flooded. We'll know uh, facts of, of nature and life that are much more severe than that. 
because we live in a, in a creation that's not just powerful, but that is also broken and fallen. And so we know things like cancer, chronic illness, tragic loss, relational breakdown. And in those, it can seem either like we've been handed something that is far too heavy for us to carry, or that we've even been given over into the hand of some evil force that is far, far beyond us. Now, if you've already connected the dots from the earlier scripture reading and the one we're about to read from the Psalms, or if you've looked ahead at Psalm 31 at all, you'll know this is one of the two Psalms that Jesus quotes uh, from his agony on the cross, the other being Psalm 22. Um, and so this sermon, as, as I looked at it, it becomes more of a conversation between our Old Testament text and what Jesus himself went through. There's not every passage that allows you to just kind of run right to Jesus like this does, but this one makes it fairly easy. So I'd invite you to stand, as we, as we typically do, for the reading of our sermon passage, Psalm 31. Psalm 31. To choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge... Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. 
This is God's word. You can have a seat. So if you've been here for any of our messages so far in the book of Psalms about the Lord, our rock, much of the content of of this psalm is going to be pretty familiar kind of territory. David is in a difficult situation. He's got enemies. His life's in danger. It's pretty familiar content in the book of Psalms. And so, as as he's wrestling with this, like so many of us do, he goes back and forth. And I think you could probably hear that as I read the text. You know, you get a few lines of, Lord, I trust you, I praise you, and then, then he's right back to, but my enemies, Lord, they're after me. I'm in a bad place, but I trust you, Lord, but, but I'm in a really bad place. There's realism here. This, this is no David presenting, here are five easy steps or one weird trick to get yourself out of a bad situation. Right? He's wrestling. There's some rawness and real emotion going on here with what he's facing. Now, as I said before reading the passage, I really want to make sure we have time to connect this with the New Testament. The Lord Jesus quoted this psalm on the cross, which means I think we really need to pay attention to those connections. So we won't spend the whole time going through this passage verse by verse by verse, but I do want to highlight at least a handful of these back and forth moments that King David presents us with. So verses 1 and 2, he's, he's going on with... Deliver me, rescue me, save me. In the opening verses, we get it already. He, he cries out to the Lord for help, even as he says that he trusts in the Lord to act. There's a remarkable honesty in a lot of the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David. In David, you, you don't see the sort of polite, fake, I'm good, everything's fine, nothing wrong here, doing good. Like, kind of ways that we greet one another in the hallway or the street or the way we present ourselves to one another sometimes online or on social media. We don't, as well, we don't see the kind of power of positive thinking, health and wealth, just I'm going to have faith and everything's going to be awesome. I'm just, I'm thinking the positive thoughts and the good vibes are coming my way. We don't see that either. David has real problems. But at the same time, while we don't see this kind of fake everything's okayness, even as David wrestles, we we never get to that poor me, I'm a victim, everything's wrong, it's everyone else's fault. David's honest. But he's also honest within some appropriate bounds. Immediately after crying out for the Lord to help, David affirms that the Lord is indeed worthy of such a request. He proclaims that the Lord is a reliable rock and a strong fortress. Verses 3 and 4. Again, this isn't just a platitude. David's, trouble, David's troubles are serious. He's, he's got enemies that want to kill him at many points in his life. He can be honest about his struggles and about their severity and... Yet he can boldly declare that the Lord is reliable in spite of those struggles. In verse 5, we get the first occurrence of this, this theme we're going to be talking about. Into your hand. David gives himself to God. And this is the first instance of this important theme. We'll talk about it more as we move toward connecting it with the New Testament. So he commits himself into the Lord's hands in verse 5. But then in verse 6, he's right back to, I, I hate those guys that put their trust in idols, Lord. Will you, will you smite them? 
That's, there's some strong language there, right? Like, maybe we ought to, we might get a little uncomfortable with that, with saying, with it being in the Bible that, that King David says he hates these people and he's, he wants God to, to smite them, to send them to Sheol. It's more than once in here. But let's be honest. We, we've all been there at some point in our lives. At a personal level, somebody's wronged us. At a societal level, we see all kinds of people in positions of power. They make decisions, proclamations that mock the name of the Lord and mock our Christian faith. And it can be easy in those for our frustration or discouragement to, to boil over into outrage or even hatred. In verses 7 and 8, though, David, he, he turns back and he says, he expresses to the Lord and to himself even that he will rejoice in the Lord's steadfast love. He expresses trust that the Lord knows what he's going through and that the Lord hears his cries of distress. And he, has, he expresses thanksgiving that up until now, the Lord has taken care of him and delivered him and not given him, here's that theme again, into the hand of his enemies. So let's remember that for our, our future discussion too. So we've got into your hand, I, I commit my spirit or myself or my life. And then this theme about not being given into the hand of his enemies up until now. Verses 9 and 10. Even, even as he expresses confidence in the Lord and the Lord's goodness to him in the past, he, he cries out again for fresh grace. You see how it's going? He, he, at one hand, proclaims, The Lord is my rock. I believe that. But then he turns and proclaims, But Lord, be my rock. This back and forth keeps on going. You know, David doesn't take this sort of stoic approach and just say, I know in my mind that the Lord is my rock. Therefore, we're all good. All is well. David, even as an inspired author of Holy Scripture, he's still very much human. He wrestles. You can feel it. He does the thing we all do. He knows the Lord is reliable. He's even seen it in the past. And yet what's happening to him in this moment is just so overwhelming that he needs to cry out for fresh grace and for fresh help from the Lord. There's an interesting line in this little section. David says that his eye is wasted from grief along with his soul and body. Many of us will have experienced that at one time or another. There are situations that are hard, situations of grief that they affect us at, at the whole person kind of level, spiritually, emotionally, even physically. Mind, body, soul, everything. Grief can be like that. Illness, of course, can be like that. And, and this is a normal human experience. King David Experience this. He wrote it down in the Bible as being inspired by the Lord. That doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. That's how God made us. Challenges affect us on a deep, deep level. Verses 11 to 13, they're sort of the rock bottom portion of this psalm. This is about as low as David gets. Some of us might have been there. This can be a hard place to get out of. That sense that everybody's against me. I don't know who I can trust. There's bad people out there. They're conspiring against me. Everybody I thought I could trust has betrayed me. From what we know of David's life, that actually was more or less true for him at various points in his life. Right? King Saul, at one, at one point, he and Saul were on good terms. And then 
not so much. At a later point in his life, his own son turned against him. In these moments, for many of us, the extent to which it's true that everybody's against us and the extent to which we feel that it's true, that can sometimes be hard to discern. But even just feeling like it's true, that can be a really hard place to get out of. It can be a very soul-crushing experience to get to that level, that depth. And if verses 11 to 13 are the rock-bottom portion of this psalm, then 14 and 15, that's, that's the turning point. And I know I'm not going to be the first preacher you've ever heard that, that points out the fact that those, the phrase, but God or but the Lord or some variation of that, that's one of the most important phrases you'll read in Scripture. It certainly is here. David is really honest up until this point with how low and how broken he feels. And yet his faith in the Lord refuses to allow him to just stay there permanently. Out of that lowest of moments comes the most confident assertion of trust in the Lord. My times are in your hands, he says. On the one hand, this could be seen kind of as as resignation. If this is the end, so be it. But on the other hand, this could also be a much deeper form of trust. Even if this is the end, David says, my times are in your hands, I'm going to trust that the Lord is still good. And that's a much richer and more robust sort of a faith than just stubbornly insisting that God has to get on board with what I want and deliver me in the way that I want to be delivered right now and make things better. There is real freedom, ironically enough, in surrendering to the will of God, even when it's not naturally what we might have chosen for ourselves. Now, I won't go into great detail verse by verse with the rest of this psalm, mainly because, as I said, I want to make sure we can get to the New Testament. If the Lord Jesus, in the final agony of his redemptive work, quoted these words, then we probably need to pay attention to that. That warrants some close examination. I will just say that after this turning point, David continues to make requests that the Lord would deliver him. But he comes, becomes more and more confident as the psalm goes on that the Lord is going to deliver him. And that, in fact, the Lord will deliver everyone who trusts in him. So we've seen a few instances of this into-the-hand language. David expressed thanks that the Lord did not deliver him into the hand of his enemies. Though the psalm makes clear this was a real possibility and a real fear. David also expresses these parallel ideas that his times and his spirit, himself, his whole person, are in the Lord's hands. In amongst all this, as I studied this and prayed about this during the week, Was the reality any of us who preach faces? How do I help this to help the people? How do I help people who feel, maybe in many cases rightly so, that they've been given into the hand of some enemy? How do I help people who feel, again, rightfully and painfully so, that they've been handed something that's too heavy for them to carry? And I know it can just sound like this, this Christian cliche that we say all the time, but as I prayed and studied this passage, the answer that just kept coming back and back was, well, you've got to point them to Jesus. That's what this psalm is doing. You do the same. So let's go there together. 
As I've said already, it's not every Old Testament passage that makes it just easy to run to Jesus, but he quotes this one explicitly. So that's, that's pretty direct, pretty simple. But moreover, it's not just that, that passage from Luke that I started to see the connections with. It happens in, in a variety of ways in the gospel that this theme of being given into the hand of enemies and, and, and being in the hand of God, it all started to come together. You know, all, all four Gospels, in one way or another, use the image of a cup for Jesus' sufferings. The betrayal and, and execution of Jesus happened, of course, at the Jewish Passover festival. And part of the, the Passover liturgy involves drinking different cups of wine that are served as part of the meal and, and, of course, Jesus was doing this at the Last Supper, and famously he redefined what the cup meant as being the new covenant in his blood. Of course, we also have that passage that we, we heard Kelly read earlier of Jesus in the garden talking about this cup that was being placed into his hands. And in the Old Testament, frequently a cup is an image of God's judgment so we have this picture of Jesus being handed this, this cup of, of judgment and suffering. And God-man, though he was, he trembled at the thought of it and, and pleaded with three times with the Lord that this cup might be, that he didn't have to take this cup into his hand, that it would be spared from him somehow. Right? We, have a, we have a Savior that knows what it's like to have this feeling of being handed something that's just completely and totally overwhelming and impossible to carry. It feels like it's just going to crush you. In both Matthew and Mark, that, that scene in Gethsemane ends with Jesus rousing his sleepy disciples with the words, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And here's where a pretty strong connection begins to happen with this psalm and Jesus, even though it's outside the gospel which directly quotes it. But it starts to be important. King David had his close calls with his enemies. Some pretty tough situations. But in this psalm and overall, he was able to say that the Lord did not deliver him into the hand of his enemies. I'm sure you, I'm sure you see how this is going. King David, despite his ups and downs, his bad times and his better times, despite his wrestling between confidence and doubt, despite some close calls, was able to still say, Lord, you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemies. Jesus, on the other hand, despite his perfect obedience to the will of God, despite his complete confidence and trust in God, and despite this final desperate plea to be delivered, is delivered into the hands of his enemies. And if you're like me, You've probably proceeded up until this point, maybe with an unstated, but probably more or less their assumption that being delivered into the hand of your enemies and trusting yourself into the hand of God were two outcomes that didn't go together, right? Either I'm going to be delivered into the hand of my enemies or I'm going to be safe in the hands of God. But is that a correct assumption? Are these mutually exclusive? I believe as we look at this psalm through the lens of Jesus, we realize that these two things don't have to be at odds. 
Jesus entrusting his spirit into the hands of his father happened finally at the end of his ordeal on the cross. Jesus cries out, into your hand, I commit my spirit, and, and that's the end. But Jesus committing himself into the hand of his father didn't begin there. We can see it just as clearly at work when Jesus is betrayed and arrested, when he was delivered into the hand of his enemies. Jesus prayed that he might be spared that cup of suffering, but he still willingly accepted it. Jesus even stated that he was being delivered into the hands of sinners, but yet at the same time we read the comment about he could have called legions of mighty angels to deliver him from that fate, and he chose not to do so. Jesus being delivered into the hands of his enemies didn't mean that he wasn't in God's hands. Rather, being in God's hands allowed him to take on that suffering in the way that he did. In fact, that this sort of surrender and submission to the will of God, sort of entrusting himself into the Father's hands, characterized Jesus' whole life and ministry from start to finish. So what do we do with that? Well, as I said, we look to Jesus, but having looked to Jesus, at Jesus, what do we do now? We know words like surrender were once, I think, a lot more popular in in Christian devotional literature and practice than they are now. Like any word, there's a sense in which it can go off the rails. Submission or surrender practiced wrongly, it can make us passive. It can make us give up when we should stand firm and keep going. But in an age like ours, which seems just obsessed with success building your personal brand, getting what you want out of life, scrambling to reach the top. Surrender can be a powerful antidote to those shiny and yet shallow distractions that we're so often presented with, right? Achieve this, achieve that, be this. None of those things are rocks that we can build our lives on, right? Even the Even the healthiest person who exercises frequently and eats well can still get cancer or suffer a stroke. Even the best family can still have a hole torn in it because of tragedy or accident. Even a great career, you can be amazing at what you do, you can work for a great company, but a downturn in the economy can force, force the place to have to make hard decisions. You can lose your job. Of course, as Christians, we know, or we should know at least, that all of these things are not things we can build our lives on. They're not rocks. They're not solid foundations. But when some of these things happen to us, it can still make us feel like we've been given into the hand of of a mighty enemy. However, if we've already made it a practice to surrender our lives to the Lord, to daily, as necessary, commit our spirits into his hands and indeed our whole selves into his mighty hands, then we can understand that being given into the hand of an evil situation and yet still remaining in the hand of God don't have to be either or mutually exclusive propositions. It wasn't for Jesus. It doesn't have to be for us. One final thing, and we'll close with this. 
We've already been here in this series. We'll be here again. This is kind of the basics of the gospel. It can be easy to think, because our surrounding culture conditions us to think in this way, that our worst enemies are the things that cause us pain, that bring us discomfort or hardship. And it's natural. We naturally recoil from things that that cause us pain, whether physical or emotional or financial or any kind of pain. The lowest life forms recoil from pain. Scientists do all kinds of experiments with, you know, worms and stuff. You poke it, it, it recoils. We do the same thing. Things like disease or betrayal or poverty genuinely hurt. And Scripture promises us that there will come a day when these things will be no more, when we don't have to face any of those things that cause us pain in life. However, as bad as any of these things are, as much pain as they cause us, those things are not our worst enemies. And as bad as the angry mob with the torches and the whips and and the cross and the nails and all that was, they were not Jesus' worst enemies either. The real enemies are not those things which cause us discomfort or even severe pain. The real enemies are the things which alienate us from God. Sin and death. Those are the enemies. Nevertheless, as Jesus surrendered himself, not just into the hands of the the Jewish authorities with their, their mob, not just into the hands of the Roman soldiers with their whips and their nails, He surrendered himself into the hand of those great enemies, sin and death. And as he did so, he still committed himself into the Father's hands. And by doing so, he defeated those great enemies, sin and death. He defeated them so that even as we continue to commit ourselves into the Father's hands, and even if we sometimes face all kinds of enemies, we won't have to face those enemies. Not totally, anyhow. Not, not the way Jesus did. He defeated those enemies so that we don't have to fear being defeated by them. Right? Sin and death are still things, but because of what Jesus did for us, we know that they aren't ultimately going to defeat us. And because of what Jesus did, we can affirm the closing verses of this psalm. Along with David, of course, that the Lord delivered him, but also in a much bigger way than King David could have seen from his vantage point in history, right? He was just talking about the Lord delivering him, and occasionally he seems to have caught glimpses that the Lord was doing this much bigger work and this eternal thing that was going to happen. But standing where we do, relative to the work of God. We can say these words in in a much bigger and much fuller way. End of the psalm. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that our hearts can take courage. 
King David, of course, here is talking about mostly actual flesh and blood physical enemies. Um, from where we are relative to your work, Lord, we, we can say some of these, these proclamations about far worse enemies, sin and death, which would alienate us from you. Um, David can proclaim and, and be thankful that you've delivered him from worldly enemies. But Lord, we can be thankful and, and give you praise because you've delivered us from ultimate enemies. Lord, we pray that we can keep that perspective, these, these basic gospel truths in whatever things we face. That because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, we can continue to put ourselves in your hands even as sometimes we're going to have to face difficulties. That this isn't a, an either-or proposition. That we can trust that we are safe with you no matter what we face because you've already defeated the true enemies, the worst enemies. But Lord, we, we admit that some of the things we face, they are still enemies. They still hurt us. They are still hard to face. Sickness, disease, poverty, betrayal, loss, all of these things, they hurt, Lord. They are enemies. And, and we pray for your strength for the day-by-day day putting ourselves in your hands. And we trust that you will be able to carry them, Lord. Just as we talked about with the kids, trying to carry things that are, that are very, very heavy, uh, we pray that you would, you would prove yourself strong as we try to face whatever enemies we, we have to come up against. Will we go from here in, in your strength, Lord, continuing not to trust ourselves, but being in your hand to carry us through? In Jesus' name, amen.